Um, good evening. It is a uh, privilege to be here with you all tonight. Um, I do not take for granted any time I get an opportunity to get up and preach the word of God. Um, so I'm just going to jump in, guys. I'm extremely excited to be here. Um, growing up, my parents used to give me choices. Now, you guys look like my kind of people, right? You guys look like a lot of you grew up the same way that I did, right? And I quickly learned that these choices that my parents gave me, I, I didn't really have a choice. Or, or if I did, there was clearly a correct answer, like clearly a correct option. Now, I'm sure a lot of you guys received the same sort of threats. I mean, excuse me, choices that I received growing up as a child, right? Like, you better, you better eat that food or you're going to go to bed hungry, right? That, that wasn't really a choice, right? I, I, yeah, some of y'all understand exactly what I'm saying, right? You better stop before you get a whooping. That's how my parents used to say it, whooping, right? <laughs> or my personal favorite, you better stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. That one made the least sense to me. <laughs> it made the least sense to me. But here in Galatians 3, right, we see Paul giving us two options. One is clearly superior to the other, right? He gives us two options. He gives us salvation by the works of our hands or salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so what I just want to do here tonight, this evening, is to dive into the word and see what evidence Paul gives us for living by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so I know Pastor Dave prayed already, but I'm going to pray again because I desperately need Christ up here. And so if you guys would just bear with me, Father, you know that I need you. You know that if you do not show up, nothing happens. There will be no power in the words that come from my mouth. I pray that you decrease me, continually remind me as I speak that this is about you. Let me not seek to steal an ounce of your glory. Father, you are good. Do your work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today we will be in Galatians 3, 10 through 14. If you guys would just stand with me really quickly, I'm going to read it. Give you guys a chance to find it. Okay. It says this, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident, no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So I'm just going to jump right in, guys. Verse 10, it says this. Cursed are all who rely on the works of the law. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by, the, by all 
things written in this book of the law and do them. Cursed are all who rely on the works of the law. Brothers and sisters, the reason the book of Galatians has such a radical, life-changing message is that it pronounces a curse from God, not on the atheist, not on the agnostic, not on the outsider, but it professes a curse on the professing Christian who tries to serve God in a way that diminishes grace and cultivates their own pride. Satan is constantly seeking to tempt us to believe that because we use theological language, because we pray at mealtime, because we, we constantly avoid gross sin, or because we go to church continually, that we are no longer under God's curse. But the message of Galatians speaks in direct opposition to this. This is not irrelevant to us. Because the truth is, many of us rely on the works of the law. If we're honest with ourselves, right? Not in the way that, that the people who Paul is addressing here may have, right? Like, we don't necessarily seek to abide by the law of the Torah, but anytime we feel more worthy of God's presence because we haven't missed church in the month, or feel more worthy of his grace because we don't sin like others, we are guilty of relying on the works of the law. And it is not our desire to be righteous that condemns us, but our desire for righteousness to earn salvation that signifies our reliance on the works of the law. And the thing about that is all who rely on the law stand under the law. And Paul says that all who stand under the law are cursed. Why? Why are all who stand under the law cursed? He answers it in the second part of verse 10. He says, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in this book and do them. Now, there's assumption here, right? There's an assumption linking these two clauses, right? And he doesn't overtly say it, but the assumption is that no one can keep the law perfectly. Paul is pulling directly out of Deuteronomy 27 and out of Deuteronomy 28 when he talks about the fact that no one who, who abides by the law is cursed, right? But everyone who fails to abide by the law is cursed. So in Deuteronomy 27, we see over and over again, curse after curse proclaimed upon sin. And it culminates in verse 26, where it says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in this book of the law and do them. The link is this, brothers and sisters, that we have all sinned. Right? We're familiar with Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the righteous works that we seek to prevent, present to God, they are nothing but dirty rags. Our righteousness, brothers and sisters, will never be counted as righteous. Because the righteous will only live by faith. We see he goes smoothly into this in verse 11. He says, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Therefore, the righteous shall live by faith. 
Paul starts with this heavy truth. Now it is evident that no one will be justified by the law. So we see two things. We see all who rely on the law are cursed, and we see that no one is justified by the law. He clarifies why that is in verse 10. We are unable to keep this law. We cannot be justified by it. If no one can be justified by this law, then it brings the question, why was the law given in the first place? So I want to press in on two primary reasons here. If we just keep reading a little bit further in Galatians, we'll see in 319 that the law was given to make us aware of sin. Paul says this, why then the law? It was added because of the trespass. Excuse me, it was added because of transgression. So we were given the law by God. Because of his grace, he wanted to make clear the law that was already written on our heart right? The Bible speaks to that clearly. And and intuitively, we understand this, right? We understand right from wrong, but God here is intentionally communicating exactly what he desires from us, that we may be without excuse. We have the law. And because we have the law, it leads us to our second point, which we can find here in Romans 5.20. It says, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So not only does the law expose our sin, but it also intensifies our sin. It's like this. My wife and I, we just became parents two months ago. I have a two-month-old child. He is cute as a button, but he can cry now. I promise you that. (laughs) Um, The truth about my son is that he has a sin nature, right? He has a sin nature. We are born that way. But it's not readily obvious Yet, but there will come a time in a couple of months, maybe a couple of years, once my son can talk and walk and understand a little bit better, that I'm going to say to him, son, do this. And he's going to boldly fix his lips to say, no. It's going to be on and popping, I promise (laughs) y'all. But until I gave the command, son, do this, son, do not do this, his sin Nature was not put on display, but the command brings his disobedient heart to the surface. This is what the law does for us, isn't it? That when God gives the law, it exposes our sinful heart. Paul unpacks this in Romans 7, verses 7 through 8. He says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet, but sin. Seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetedness. We see that the law indeed makes us aware of sin and the law intensifies sin. But we cannot miss what Paul says in the second half of Romans 5.20. He says this, but where sin increased Grace abounded all the more. The law was ultimately given that God may be glorified all the more in our righteousness through Christ because the righteous shall live by faith. It is our faith in a gracious God that saves us and glorifies him. The righteous shall live by faith is directly quoted from Habakkuk 2.4. 
It says this, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So we see that the differentiating factor between the one who is not upright in heart and the righteous one is that one is puffed up in soul. He is prideful and the other is utterly abandoned to Christ, deserting their own strength for true reliance on him. I will read it again. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The law, it increased the sin and made plain our utter hopelessness. The law, brothers and sisters, made faith necessary. That by our faith, we may seek to be made right before a holy God so that faith alone will suffice for our righteousness. It is faith. Alone, brothers and sisters. But, but if we're honest now, we think that we can mix in our good works just a little bit, supplement our faith like we can earn it just a bit. But this, brothers and sisters, is a dangerous and slippery slope because the two are simply incompatible. We see this in verse 12. He says, but the law is not faith. Rather, The one who does them shall live by them. Paul starts with this seemingly obvious statement, right? Of course, the law is not faith. But he is communicating something so significant here. I'll I'll read the second half of the verse. It says, the one who does them shall live by them. So this is what Paul is communicating here. If one lives by the law, he cannot then live by faith. Romans 7, 1 through 6 unlocks this for us. I'll love for you all to turn there with me really quick. It says this. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if, if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, brothers, You have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that you may bear fruit for God. Just an aside, guys, I cannot go here. But does the being free from the law make us lawless? By no means. Being free from the law means that we may belong to another and bear fruit for God. I got to move on. All right. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which has held us captive so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old written code. Brothers and sisters, we cannot both live by and die to the law. We were once married to the law. Our trespasses, our transgressions were ever before us, but we have died to the law that we may live to another. 
verse 4, it is such a freeing truth of the gospel. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. Here is the point. If we are in Christ, we are dead to the law. And if we live by the law, brothers and sisters, we are not in Christ. What do we do with such a heavy statement, with such a heavy truth? One author says that a spirit of sober self-examination is necessary here. He references 2 Corinthians 13.5, which says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves, for you should know yourselves that Christ Jesus is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. This text, it answers a fundamental question. It's the fundamental question that we all ask, how can we be made right before a holy God? The world and every other religion insists that the answer lies within the works of our hands. Brothers and sisters, that would not be good news. No one can keep the law. We've established that. James 2.10 says, if we are guilty of one, we are guilty of them all. And what does every sin deserve? The answer, every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and the one to come. Justification by the law is an utterly hopeless endeavor. But there is good news, and it comes in verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This, brothers and sisters, is the good news of the gospel. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. And don't miss this. We are not freed by the works of our hands, but we are freed by the works of his. One author says it this way. The language here is startling, almost shocking. We should not have dared to use it, yet Paul means every word. It is our pride that seeks to justify ourselves by the means of the law. We think our sin small and therefore his grace cheap. But on the cross, Jesus shows us the true price for salvation. On the cross, Jesus took the curse that we deserved. Let me say it plainly, brothers and sisters. There was a curse pronounced on us because of sin by a holy God. This curse separated us from God and set us under his wrath. See, the cross was not only about his love for us. It was equally about his just wrath on sin. When we understand this, clicks. That's because if it's just about love, maybe we can earn it, right? That's how we're wired to earn it. We would dare not fancy ourselves able to stand beneath the wrath of a holy God. 
This truth kills our prideful thoughts and our postures of self-sufficiency. Apart from the cross, we stand accursed and divinely rejected. For it is written, cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree, is a quote directly from Deuteronomy 21-23. You see, every criminal sentenced to death under the Mosaic law and executed usually by stoning was then fixed to a stake or hung on a tree as a symbol of divine rejection. Jesus took this rejection for us. It was this divine rejection that leads our Christ to cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took our rejection, our curse, our penalty. It was all laid upon him. A great example of this is we see in the Psalms over and over again. We're, we're preaching through the Psalms at Parkwood, um, and it has been a beautiful experience for me. Um, and we see David over and over again in the Psalms cry out that Yahweh would not forsake him. And brothers and sisters, he was not forsaken. Our covenant-keeping God did not forsake David even after sin, because he would forsake Christ on the cross. This is good news for us because we can trust and believe that we will also not be forsaken. We must not erode this glorious truth in useless efforts to earn salvation by the works of our hands. If we do, Brothers and sisters, hear me clearly. We have not the promised blessings of Abraham. We have not the Holy Spirit, and ultimately, we have no salvation. Verse 14, by faith alone, the promise of the Spirit of God and dwelt in his people, changing us from the inside out, helping us to walk in power over sin and death, that will be received by faith alone. And the greatest blessing Abraham was promised, his seed, the seed referred to in verse 16, the risen Christ, he will be received by grace and faith alone. So, what do we do with a truth like this as believers? First and foremost, we examine ourselves and we remember this. We will not gain Christ by the work of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said it this way. Faith apprehended nothing else but the precious jewel, Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, if all you have ever known is a distant, disinterested God within which you are forced to earn his favor as he stands off at a distance, I invite you to know the Christ who came to earth and bore the curse we deserve. 
He has done the work. Look away from yourselves and humbly seek God. For we have no way to gain Christ apart from his work on the cross. But the good news, brothers and sisters, is that he did the work. Augustus Topley said it best in his hymn, Rock of Angels. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Brothers and sisters, this is the truth of the gospel. And Paul has laid it out clearly for us here. It is my prayer that we would look away from our prideful and foolish ways and that we would rest in the work of the cross. Let me pray to that end. Father, you are good. You are merciful. You are kind. You are wise. And you are mighty to save. Father, I, my words have no power. But you are all powerful. And I just pray that you would move amongst this people. If there is anyone here who has been relying on the works of their hands for salvation, I pray that you bring conviction. But not only conviction, I pray that you give them the rest that you promised to those who trust in you. That we may seek you, find you, and taste you as all satisfying. Father, you are good and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn 458 for our closing song. Nearer, my God, to thee, M458. Nearer, my God, to thee, nearer to thee, e'en though it be a cross shall be nearer my God to thee nearer my God to thee nearer to thee there let the way appear steps on to hell, all 
sendest me in mercy gave angels to beckon me nearer my God to thee nearer my God to thee nearer to Then with my waking thoughts, bright with thy praise, out of my stony griefs, Bethel I'll raise. So by my woes to be nearer my God to thee nearer my God to thee nearer to thee for it is finished